Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Live NBA podcast. Your boy Samuel is here. I'm back. I took a month off, you know, had to deal with some school and work stuff, but you know, we back. It's the NBA offseason. Got with me a special guest, my boy Ajayi from Nets Daily, right? On yes, SB sir. Nation. And yes, he writes for the Syracuse blog over, over there. I don't remember the name at the moment. I think it's Noon's Magician, right? Yeah. Alright, and he is also known by known as First Class Ticket on Instagram and on YouTube. So make sure you check that out. I have all the links in the description. So Jay, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up? I hope everybody is doing doing well. Like at least a little through this pandemic. I know it could be tough, but just making sure like y'all hold it up, man. And hopefully this election turns out well for all of us. All of I don't know what's going on. <laughs> they they need to get to that counting. Exactly, especially in Nevada. I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> Nevada, <laughs> man. They they over here gambling. That's what it is. Taking too exactly. long. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna get into some quick headlines. You know, some 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 quick stories that's going on around the league, and then we're gonna head into some little bit of some net stuff. You know, mixed in with some Knicks stuff because you know that's me and his forte. So let's get into it. First headline we got is um, Daryl Morey in Doc Rivers. They have joined the Sixers somehow um, <laughs> through all the madness of the NBA playoffs and offseason. Daryl Morey found his way out of Houston and then Doc Rivers found his way out of the Clippers and they got up here in um, in Philly. So, I mean, how how you feeling about that? That you that unification over there. I absolutely love the move for Philly because one, you're getting a president that is known for getting his roster set up to make it for make a deep playoff run. And also he also kind of gives you an edge in luring James Harden in because they're also rumored to in trying to get him on the team. So if they could lure James Harden in to join Joel Embiid or probably even if they manage to get him to join Joel Embiid and Ben without trading Ben, we got a problem in Philly. They can actually make make it out the East if it's not the Brooklyn Nets or Milwaukee, if they keep be honest. And let me not forget the Heat. True, true, true. I I'm intrigued by this. I I didn't want to like be too early to judge because you know everybody's everybody's first thing was oh, Daryl Morey they're gonna want to shoot all these threes, but like Daryl Morey is someone who's smart. And he's gonna play to his team's best best strengths. So he's not right. gonna be coming in here and like forcing Ben Simmons to shoot all these threes. I'm sure he's gonna want Ben Simmons to at least want to expand his range a little bit. But he's gonna be comfortable with Ben Simmons in playing a, a similar role to what he's been playing now, and probably even getting more out of him. And mm-hmm. same with Joel Embiid. Like he said, he compared Joel Embiid to Shaq in his in in his introduction presser. I mean, mm-hmm. I found that funny. I mean, Joel Embiid is kind of what this era's Shaq would be in a way, sort of, I guess you can. You can make that argument. But, you know, he's going to play to Joel Embiid's strengths. He knows Joel Embiid wants it down low in the post. He's going to make sure to get those, get the guys to get him the ball down in the post as well. And I'm sure he's going to talk to Doc Rivers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sure. you, like, and like, like you said, what, go ahead. When you, what you said about getting a lot of out of his team, um, I love that point because Daryl Morey actually is known for making sure that he could use the use the absolute most out of his team, yeah. even if he doesn't have a lot of pieces. But in this case, he does. 
he will motivate. He expects uh, either like making it to the Eastern Conference Finals or making it to the finals in general because he already stated, I think it was about this week or last week, that he just expects a championship team. Like this is a championship team. And comparing to comparing Joel Embiid to Shaq, he, he loves Embiid because he knows this is once in a generation player. He's averaging about like 24 points, nearly 12 rebounds and three assists throughout his whole career. And that's rare as a big man. So he wants to use this opportunity to get the most out of the team and then to let's see what he does with Ben. Yeah. And then also with Daryl Moore, he has to kind of figure out what to do with the contracts of Tobias Harris and Al Horford, Mm -hmm. because those have been the biggest criticisms of this team for the past year. And it's like, it's like, you don't know what's the, what's their value. You know, it's pretty low, but you don't know how low it is and what you can get for it. And I think the contract to move out of the both of them, at least, is probably Al Horford. Because really? Tobias Harris, yeah, because Tobias Harris, I, I, I think he still has a role in the team. With Al Horford, it's a really clunky fit with Ben Simmons and um, Joel Embiid there. Mm-hmm. And, you're gonna, and, and you don't want to pay him $100 million to be your sixth man. So, because that's what they basically utilized him as towards the end of the season, because they realized that he wasn't working with the starting lineup. It's too much of a clunky fit down low, especially it clogs up the paint. And Al Horford just isn't himself either. Like he, he looked way better in Boston and Atlanta than he did this past year with Philly. And I don't know if it's the age catching up with him or, you know, it's just, it's just that time that he, he's just not the same person anymore. But yeah, I think that. Uh, I think it's definitely the age catching up to him because when I saw him on the court, it's like he didn't seem comfortable. I, I don't know if that, was, that had to do with the chemistry, but it definitely seemed like Father Tom was catching up to him. He wasn't as athletic. He wasn't really like getting his, to his spots on the court. And if anything, I see him kind of getting a decreased role and moving to the bench. And then the Sixers trying to move Tobias Harris because, I mean, Tobias Harris has been there for a while now and he hasn't really proved anything to me. Like even in the playoffs, he he isn't he's providing points, but he's not really like that player that I think that could take you to the next level. And I feel like they could get the player that can help them reach their next level if they trade him. With Tobias, it's so weird because like he's a good player. Like he he's not a bad player, but he gets paid so much, it's like he's not producing to his pay grade. And I think right. that's what that's what bothers a lot of Philly fans and I think a lot of just NBA fans in general because, like, they paid him so much, but they kind of had to, I guess, if they wanted to keep him. Mm-hmm. But then you, you can also make the... Probably, but then you would, have, you would have traded all your assets for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and then both of them go away. And that would have been a bad look for Philly right there. But it's still a bad look regardless anyways because look what Jimmy did with Miami. Right. So. But at least you would have had cap space, like more cap space to like search for probably another yeah. star, possibly. So probably. Um second headline kind of goes with what you were saying about James Harden being lured to um Philly. They are interested, um, as Shams reported earlier this week, that um the Sixers are to be interested in James Harden. But I heard from, uh, I saw, I think, a tweet earlier this week that also said that Houston would be saying a hard no. We all know things can change, and we know Daryl Morey has a way of always 
trying to go after the biggest fish in the pond always. So it'll be interesting to see if he can actually land um, a James Harden. But one would assume it would probably take Ben Simmons and probably one of Tobias Harris or Al Horford. How do you feel about that? Honestly, if they manage to pull this off, like it doesn't matter who who they have to give up as long as they, they don't touch Embiid, they're winning that trade because you're pairing probably the <laughs> I'm, this is gonna be controversial, but you're you're pairing one of the best scores of all time next to mm-hmm. one of the best low post scores in our game right now and one of the best centers in the league. If anything, it's between him and Nikola Jokic mm-hmm. and being the best center in the league. If you do that. <laughs> Sheesh, that's that's gonna be one your mo- that duel that is gonna be creating more headlines in the in the sports news world, you know. And I think I think Daryl Moore kind of like, like, w- would see it similar because he said Joel Embiid is like Shaq, so he would probably assume you would probably assume that if he gets James Harden there, he would like to he would probably liken it to a Shaq and Kobe esque duo. Exactly. Cool. So that, that may be his motivation in doing that. Mm-hmm. He has to pull a lot of strings to, to get this done. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. So next headline we got is the NBA start date. It has been a topic of conversation for at least the past, since the season ended, basically. Everybody was like, okay, so when's the next season going to start? And the last couple of weeks we've been getting a lot of traction and a lot of steam headed towards a December 22nd date. And it's also news that it would be um, preferred by the owners for that date to be starting because um, financials, the financial situation um, in hand with that. A lot of people think LeBron James and probably other players that have been playing on the teams that went to the finals and conference finals would prefer a later start date probably martin luther king day january 18th but that comes with a 500 million dollar loss in like revenue for the league so i think it was as of yesterday it's they said that one agent said that the players are probably going to enter they're probably going to accept the december 22nd date because they have no choice because the money they'll lose is so much greater if they start on January 18th, then they will in December 22nd. So how are you feeling about possible basketball next month? If, if it wasn't on me, I mean, like, um, that's, that's actually a hard one because, look, I understand the situation and the circumstance for players that participate in the conference finals and the finals. Like, they'll, they'll barely have rest. And now they're entering, yeah. like, uh, probably one of the most competitive NBA seasons we've we're ever going to witness. So you want to be like at full strength and, but they won't have that. But then again, would you want to lose out on all that money? No. So you're going to have to come return on, you said December 22nd, right? Yeah. Yeah. You will have to return on December 22nd, but you won't be at full power. And yes, although your seating may get affected because of that, let it be because it's a marathon, not, you know, like a, a, your first 10 games of the season's season is vital to what you'll be able to produce throughout the, um, you know, the whole marathon. So they just have to accept that. 
Eternity, yeah, especially I, before Christmas, because Christmas, we all know we love our Christmas games. Facts, and that's a huge stream of revenue for the league right there, those Christmas Day mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that a majority of the players are going to be willing to take a pay cut just for like a couple of the other teams or just a couple of the other guys. Like that's a lot of money they're losing if they start on January 18th. And I don't think I don't think the guys who are and like someone like Steph is making like 43 mil and he could end up making like probably like I think it I think it was less than 30 mil. It said if they start mm-hmm. on January 18th. So that's a lot of money being lost. I know Steph is someone that makes ton of money regardless, but you know, you gotta think. You gotta think about it from how his perspective is thinking. He's probably like, "Yo, I'm about to lose all this just so a couple guys are re-energized a little bit more." They're probably like, "Nah, f that." Like, I'd rather start on this date, get more of my money, and I'm and I'm ready to go. Like guys like Steph and them, the Warriors, they're ready. They've been ready since March. So, you know. And on a comp- from the competitive standpoint that you touched on, if my team is ready and your team isn't, it's not my that's problem. That's on you. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. not my problem at all. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm, I've been fiending for Knicks basketball <laughs> for the longest. So I do not care if it's like a, a, a late January matchup and LeBron is not playing. If my Knicks have a chance to win that game, I do not right. care, bro. I'm taking right. that W. Right. Throw the Lakers on the schedule for the first week. <laughs> Bro, I would take that because I know my Knicks is ready. I know my Knicks is ready, so I know we'll be ready. So I'll mm-hmm. take that. So speaking of next season, the playing tournament is something that is going to be staying. That was something that I was a huge advocate for. I actually wrote about why I think the playing game would stay because I feel like it would increase interest towards the end of the season for fans of teams that probably would not be in it towards the end like they, those fans would probably usually be checked out because their team is like 11th or 10th place and they know they're not getting to the playoffs with the play-in tournament it keeps the fans of those teams interested at least to check in in on those games and possibly increase some bit of revenue for the league and those teams so how do you feel about the play-in tournament staying mm, it did bring a lot of interest from fans but i wouldn't want it Mm. only because only because when we look at the tradition of how you get to the playoffs from past seasons it's always been okay the best eight teams from each conference make it if now we add a play-in tournament and then like say a team that enters the play-in tournament comes in and then they they (laughs) They, they get better through the playing tournament and then they advance to play like a one seed or a two seed and then they beat that one or two seed. But if it wasn't for the playing tournament, they would have never got to that spot. When we compare like the like past players, like you know how we can't sometimes compare MJ to LeBron because there wasn't like a seven game series back then. Yeah. Yeah, like it would be hard to compare like circumstances and kind of like the season for players if we add the playing tournament so i wouldn't want to mess with that so you don't want to you don't you don't want to mess with the tradition of like just straight best eight teams no matter what they go through right and you can still get that sort of interest from like teams that are barely going to make it or probably won't make it only because teams that um, make it towards that end like that (laughs) that that stretch at the end 
I remember in 2018 when Jimmy Butler was on the Timberwolves, they had to win that game, their last game, to advance to the playoffs as the eighth seed. Now you're going to have all these fans coming to this one game still. And it's kind of like the playing tournament because it's so much pressure on that one game, but it's rare though. The playing yeah, tournament. It opens. Yeah, yes. that's why I was like, I'd rather have the playing because then you have that type of atmosphere every year now. Right. Like you see how it was crazy between like Phoenix went eight and oh, and everybody was like, oh, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. And then like fans of Phoenix, they probably would have been checked out by now. Like they're probably like, oh, I right, bet. Let's, let's, let's wait for the lottery. Let's let's see what pick we get and let's let's run it back next year. But now nah, they was like, yo, we got a chance in the bubble. Let's do it. And oh, and they fans was hype throughout the whole thing. I never seen so much, at least from my end, I never seen so much Phoenix Suns engagement before, at least in the past like 10 years since Steve Nash left or whatever. But yeah. But I mean, why are we giving them another chance? Like why? <laughs> like I mean, I think this year they did it because all the teams didn't play the same amount of games and there was still True. a certain chance for some I'm, teams to I'm make it this year. But like in general, like traditionally now moving forward, like why do we need to give all these teams that get into that ninth or 10th slot another chance? I think the league isn't doing it to give the teams a chance. I think it's the league doing it because they know they, they realize that their traditional ways of doing things aren't bringing the ratings up as the ratings have been going down. So they're trying to try something new, I think, just to see how the fans respond. And then I think they noticed that fans were really invested in it this year due to the unforeseen circumstances, of course. But they're probably like, OK, let's run it back this year again. And then if it doesn't work out this year, they'll probably cut it off the next year. Like they did so, with like some of the all star stuff that they used to do. So does fan engagement in the playing tournament outweigh traditional traditional playoff um, sh- structures. Does it outweigh that for you or? For me personally? Yeah. I mean, I was low-key kind of excited to watch like these teams like Memphis and Portland and Phoenix like fight to the end to see who would make that eighth spot. Um, I know every year it probably isn't going to be like that because I kind of touched on it when I wrote about it. I was like every year, like most of the time, sometimes the eighth seed is really far up against up ahead the the from the ninth seed. So I think that's why they placed in certain rules. I mean, it depends for me. It's, it's, it, it'll probably have to be a year by year thing where I have to see what the teams are. Cause every year it's not going to be as exciting. I don't think either. Okay. So I wouldn't do it every year. Probably. I see where you're coming from. I want to see how it, how it looks this year with like what teams there are. And like, if they place in certain rules again, cause I know the rules this past year were like, you had to be within like four games of the eighth seed to make it. So if they like cut that down to like three games or something, I don't know, maybe. But we'll right, see. I see, where you, I see where you're coming from, but no second chances for me. I feel you on that because like, <laughs> the, 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 like some, for one year, maybe like a 10th seed might get in as the eighth seed yeah. and then they get like swept badly <laughs> in like the first round by the first seed. So it won't be as exactly. interesting. But And then if, but that yeah, I get what you're going seed, if that ninth seed or eighth seed gets an injury in that playing tournament, like... How are they yeah. gonna? Th- that would have been the team, like say on paper, that would have been the team to advance in that playing tournament before the injury. But once the injury came about, the t- the tenth seed like overcomes that team and gets swept. Like you said, like you know, it had an obstacle for these players to go through. Yeah, but I mean, if the players are on board with it, I think the most of the fans would be okay with it because I see kind of a split between the fans also on Twitter. I've seen some fans they're like, you know. 
it was cool for that one for this year because you know of COVID and whatnot. But let's like keep things the way it was before. Absolutely. So we'll see how it goes. Um, let's head into some net stuff. So it's been an interesting, I'd say, the last two years for Brooklyn as a team. Very, very interesting. Because you had the whole surprise thing with like D'Lo and Karis LeVert went down and D'Lo and Spencer kind of carried that team. And then they made the playoffs. They they surprised the Sixers. I think it was in game one, right? Yeah. In Philly. And then and then they lost the, the, the next four, right? <laughs> yep. Gentlemen and then, and then I was low key, I'm a Knicks fan. And I know probably other Knicks fans that are listening, they would probably like despise me for this or whatever. But I was looking kind of hyped for Brooklyn when they beat the Sixers in, in, yes, in that sir. first game. Because D'Lo, D'Lo's my guy. D'Lo's my guy. I, I've been a D'Lo fan since he was at Ohio State. So mm-hmm. that's that's my guy. So I've always been pushing for D'Lo. I was, I, was pu- I was rooting for him when he was on the Lakers. Not a huge Lakers guy. I was definitely rooting for, for him when he got on Golden State because, you know, Steph is my guy right there. And then now he's on Minnesota. It's like, uh, I don't know what Minnesota is going to do, but that's a whole conversation for another day. But, but yeah, I was looking on hype for Brooklyn when they got that win. But then I kind of knew that the, the, the Sixers would wake up after that and they beat them. And then it was a very eventful offseason for you guys that last year. You guys stole Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving from the Knicks. And l- looking back on it a year later, I'm actually kind of glad they went to the Nets. How come? Because here's the thing. The way that the media covers the Knicks and the Nets, and I think you can probably attest to this, is like two totally different things. Right. Competitively or just their franchises? Just like how the media covers them in general. Because like, okay, I'll give you an example. Say the Knicks... Say everything went perfectly for them this past that past offseason where they got Zion, they got the number one pick, they picked Zion. They got Kevin Durant and they got Kyrie. Do we do you saw how the season started for all three of those guys? Zion starts the season, he's not even playing. He doesn't play till January. Mm-hmm. Um who what else? Kevin Durant misses the whole year. Right. Kyrie Irving misses most of the year. If that's a New York Knicks team, they're getting shredded for signing three guys that couldn't even play on the court in one year. Very true. Very, very true. <laughs> and that's one of the main reasons why I was like, I was watching as, as things played out throughout the year. And, you know, the Knicks, they always have their headlines, like even for minor stuff, like when the showers were just cold after the Memphis game, like that was made a huge story. And I was like, why? It's like the showers were cold that night, okay? Like, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a difference between how the Knicks and the Nets are covered. Um it's but it's, it's not their fault. Like it's not um the media's fault because the Knicks have gotten this reputation of, you know, being that the team with the worst luck because they've created that type of pathway for themselves, like they, I remember when they they drafted Chris Stapps and your fan the fan base for the Knicks was just upset. I'm like, and at me like, I like looking at international players only because mm-hmm. like back at home where 
back at their home countries, like they're allowed to do more things other than just scoring a paint for big men. So when I saw him get go to the Knicks, I was like, oh, that's cool. But their Knicks fans were, they didn't like the move. I'm like, why though? And I, he ended up like doing really well for you for um the Knicks. So I was just like, okay, so the Knicks fan base just they're kind of toxic. <laughs> so they're they toxic just and ready for I, bad luck. And then when they the, get good luck, it's like <laughs> they're not ready for it. Yeah, yeah, just not ready for it. So it's kind of confusing. A lot of the casual Knicks fans, though, they're uneducated, especially on like the international prospects. Because like when Chris Tapps got drafted. I was one of the few people I saw at him, at least my friend group, that knew who he was, period, at all. Mm-hmm. But then I got to looking at his tape because I, I watched. I, I was so intrigued in that year's draft process because, again, D'Lo was in that draft class. And I was like, yo, D'Lo's my guy. I hope he goes to the Knicks. The Knicks always need a point guard. Why not get D'Lo? But then I was like, I'm hearing about like this Chris Stapps guy. And I started to look into him. And then I was like you know, this guy is pretty valid. I wouldn't mind him being on the Knicks. And then when he got drafted, everybody was laughing. And I was like, did y'all watch tape though? Like, come on. So a lot of Knicks fans and a lot of basketball fans in general, they're like, they're casual watchers and they don't intrigue themselves with international prospects, which is kind of a disservice to themselves. So. I I don't feel like most of that is because um they're not, they don't believe in the hype of international prospects. I feel like being in America we have more exposure to athletes that are in college and we watch yeah. them from high school and up. So we're just more in tune on like their movements. So we just watch them more. And then when it's time yeah. for the draft and these players are about to get drafted, we tend to place them at a higher pedestal. And then when they come into the NBA, some of them like, and then some of them like are hyped up a lot and then they don't provide like kind of like Dennis Smith right now. You know, it's it's tough for them because now it's like, oh, they're a bust. And then the media just starts, you know, switching Railing up on them. them. Yeah. Yeah. So sucks, but, but yeah. it's true. Well, yeah, going to back to the Nets. So you guys took Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. And then this offseason, you guys made more headlines. And I didn't even think that was possible because, like, what other moves are there to be made? Of course, you guys fired Kenny Atkinson during the year. Um, I liked Kenny Atkinson. I, I wanted him to be hired by my Knicks because, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job with the player development with the Nets, and I thought he could do some of that with my Knicks. Knicks went the Tom Thibodeau route. I'm not particularly upset with that either. Um, But, yeah, Kenny Atkinson, I think he's going to be uh, an assistant with the Clippers now, so that's good for him. But you guys made some coaching changes this offseason. You guys got Steve Nash, first-time head coach, Amari Stoudemire, um, Mike D'Antoni and then M.A. Udoka. I mean, you guys built yourselves a, a formidable coaching staff. It's very, it's a very interesting group of people, to say the least. I won't judge it yet. I know I'm like, I, I'm usually someone that's quick to judge these moves, but I've learned over the, especially this past season, don't judge everything too soon because you, you want to see how things play out first. But how are you feeling about those moves? Uh, okay. The Mike D'Antoni move caught me off guard because I thought D'Antoni still wanted to be a head coach, although it would have been difficult for him to get a job at head coach, considering Houston was going to fire him if even even if before he left or resigned with them. So I thought he was just going to either take a rest and not come back until there's a head coaching position ready for him. Because that when, before Doc Rivers got hired by the Sixers to be their head coach, that job was right there for him. But once Doc picked it up, obviously because, you know, Rivers is a better coach to, in my eyes, 
it, now the Antonio has less options. So when you look at Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni's history with each other, they got re- they were together in Phoenix, they were together in LA, and D'Antoni's looking at this like, okay, like we could reunite again. So bringing them together, is just, that's just two basketball minds that will help create and improve this Nets team offensively, especially. And the move that I feel like was really underrated was the move of getting Ime Adoka. Because Defensive specialist any, right any form, Yeah. Any former Spurs coach, I have a bias over because the, the Spurs organization, they they know how to play as a team. They they keep their players disciplined. And they also, they're just a winning franchise. So getting a getting somebody like Adoka is a great move for the Nets because we're getting all these offensive-minded players and coaches. And then now we're putting him in there. It's kind of balancing it out more. But I know we're the Nets are still going to struggle defensively. So overall, like I know it's a win now type of move bringing these two coaches in. So we just got to see where things go from here on out. Yep, and to to your point, Steve Nash, I think in his introductory conference was like he said the Nets are playing for a championship this year, and. To me, I was like, uh, I don't know if they should, if they want to put such lofty expectations on themselves because we just saw what happened with the Clippers and how they made proclamations before the season about, you know, we're, we're a championship team this year's championship or bust. Granted, with the Clippers, I think after next year, both their main guys can leave as free agents with Katie, Katie and Kyrie. They think I think they have like two more years after this year. So there's a little bit more stability with the Nets partnership there. But it is interesting to see how they, they've placed the championship or bus label on themselves already for this first year. Um, I mean, I, I, it was also the media doing it before. True, very the true. Nets staff and players started doing it because when people think Kyrie and KD, they, <laughs> the sky's the limit. That's what they set on them as expectations. And that partnership is really going to determine how successful they are. Because we've seen with KD and Kyrie, they've had stability in the the last couple of locations, at least where they won with Kyrie, where he was won. He's had stability somewhat with his teammates and with with coaching and everything around him. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two forces come together. And where's the leadership going to come from in that locker room? Because with with KD and the Warriors, it was like, you know, you got Steph for stability, you got Clay, you've got Steve Curry, you've got Draymond, you've got all these pieces around you that you don't have to be the leader. These guys will be the leader. And with Kyrie in Cleveland, especially LeBron, like everybody knows, like LeBron was the leader. You got you guys, you had vets in there like Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry throughout the years. And then Tyron Lue, a lot of people don't think he was respected, but I think he was respected in that locker room. Um, he's pretty underrated as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where the, the the leadership comes from with the Nets and the stability comes from. So where do you think that's going to come from? The leadership will most likely come, ver- well, verbally it will come from Kyrie on the court. And also, if it's not coming from on the court, off the court, you're going to have Steve Nash being that voice for the, players and the team i i say this because kevin durant he's a baller as much as 
as much as he's a baller and he's he's talented and he's, he could do it all on the court, he he never really had leadership. But that's okay. Like you can be a great at the game, you can be a future Hall of Famer in the game, one of the best scorers in the game. But sometimes leadership, that's something that you're not really taught. You're you just are. You just are a leader, you know. And he said in the past before, he said like, oh, um, he just wants to play basketball. When I think somebody asked him about leadership, he could really care less about the other things. So you can tell like his mentality right now is just get back on the court, play basketball, play the game that he loves. And that's it. When he when he went to the Warriors, he didn't have to worry about being a leader because you already had Steph over there. You had Draymond, who's a great leader that nobody ever talks about when he was on Oklahoma. Uh, with Russell Westbrook and Harden, there wasn't really a true leader, to be honest. So, yeah, and I think more of that leadership in OKC kind of probably came from whatever vets were in the locker room. I know they had Derek Fisher yeah. at one point, they had Kendrick Perkins at one point. So, and who knows when Billy Donovan got there, who was really the leader? Because most of those vets were gone at that point. So, mm-hmm. who knows what it was like exactly. during the Billy Donovan days? That's what they lacked, honestly. Even with Billy Donovan, they lacked that. Like, yep, your leader needed to step up when you're down three one against the Warriors. Or up three one, like up three exactly. one. You mean? Yeah, I said. And down, then you fumble I, it. I, I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're up three one, and then you're telling me there's no player that's on the bench like screaming like, "What are y'all doing? Like, come on, exactly. just win one." That's when a leader would have like rallied the troops right there, right. and would have got things done. That's that's where you know that's where it showed that leadership lacked. And I think Kevin exactly. Durant realized that, and he was like, "You know what? Let me go somewhere where I don't have to worry about that." Mm-hmm. Honestly, like. As much as I want to say that he Kevin Durant should be a leader or is a leader, he isn't. But he's still someone that can lead you on the court because he's just that talented at the game. So when you surround him with a Hall of Famer like Steve Nash and then a player like Kyrie, who's known for being verbal, who doesn't care about being controversial because he mm-hmm. says his piece and he means his piece and it gets misinterpreted a lot, but when you have someone like that that is willing to be vocal about what they believe in, you really have a team to work around. And you just got to play basketball. You got to do your thing. Make sure you're playing your role, of course. And then that's the Nets should be doing well this season. But we still got to see how things gel together. And hopefully injuries don't mess up any of that. And to your point about KD being a leader, I think that is what steered him away from going to the Knicks this time around because I think the oh, really? Knicks <laughs> I think that oh, really? along with like being the image of the Knicks savior I think he didn't want to have that responsibility upon his shoulders because he knows if he fell flat on that it would be over for his legacy because people are already discounting his rings saying they don't count because he was on Golden State and they call him all these names on social media and you think he wants to come to New York and then come and fail on the Knicks and he would be the face of that, that would be horrible for him. Horrible. But also, would it be his fault? Uh, you said it earlier. But, but the media would make it his fault. Right. You said earlier that Kevin Durant and Kyrie belonged to the Knicks in last year's offseason. Honestly? To that. They didn't belong to the Knicks because no one wanted to belong to the Knicks, especially those two players, because <laughs> we all know the Knicks. We all know the Knicks aren't going to make moves to surround their players to win. And if Kevin Durant enters that, that's worse than LeBron going back to Cleveland. 
Like Cleveland Honestly, struggles with that, but the Knicks? Oh Lord. <laughs> you you can't even blame Knicks fans for even believing that rumor because every news outlet <laughs> plastered it all over social media for the whole yeah. season. Stephen A. Smith was like, I'm 95% sure Katie and Kyrie go in there. Um, but what else are you going to look forward to? Like, everybody was saying they were, the they were so sure that Kevin Durant was coming there. And f- yeah. in the back of my head, I low-key knew that they weren't coming here. I was like, yeah, all the media is going to say that all these players are going to come to the Knicks all the time. That's why I don't believe anything about any rumor about anybody signing anywhere until it's legit. So that's what until Woj or Sham says that they are going there for sure, that's when I believe it. And that's why that's why I was like the whole year and that's why I made the statement of saying, Oh, you guys stole the 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 you guys stole Katie and Kyrie from us because the whole story during the year was focused on us. So I was like, Yeah, they stole them from us, and that's what everybody runs with. So you know. But yeah, um with Katie and Kyrie, I kind of see with this Nets team in general, I see a Clippers like situation. And I'm not saying Whoa. they're going to blow. I'm not saying they're going to blow a three, one lead. I'm not saying they're going to blow a three, one lead. I mean, one of them is already famous for that. So I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> but, <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> but we got two guys not really seen as leaders per se, same way with PG and Kawhi. I wouldn't say Kawhi or PG are leaders. I mean, with Ka- Kawhi in Toronto, Kyle Lowry was the leader. Everybody knows that. And um, in San Antonio, you know, he had the vets there with Tim Duncan and Popovich and everybody else. So Kawhi was never really seen as a leader. Same with Paul George. Paul George was never seen as like a leader on any of the teams that he's been on. So it's kind of a similar situation in that way. And chemistry is really going to be the determining factor for this team. Because like with the Clippers, we thought they were going to be like this defensive juggernaut team. That's the way we see how the Nets, we we think the Nets are going to be on the offensive side of the ball because You've got KD, you've got Kyrie, you're putting Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni in charge of those two guys. I mean, it's probably going to be like 140-point explosions like every night. But you're going to have to worry about like leadership, as I mentioned before, and defense is going to be a key thing for this team as well. For sure. I feel like it's really key on what you said about um, leadership. Like I know we already touched on this before, but I just have to reiterate this now because you mentioned the Clippers. The Clippers... Mm -hmm are down 3-1. No leader steps up. Kawhi's on the bench. Paul George's on the bench in the fourth quarter of game seven. You got Lou Will, once they enter the bubble, going to, to, <laughs> to like, get some wings, quote-unquote wings. <laughs> and then you got Harold not playing like himself. You need somebody on that team to say, yo, like, we got to get it together. Like, I don't know what y'all doing. But what we're doing right now is we're not disciplined, we're not committed, and y'all say y'all want to win a championship, but y'all not moving like y'all want to win a championship. We need somebody on the Clippers, and the, the Nets need this voice as well. I'll, I, I'm still not sure where it's going to come from. Teams need a voice that's going to make sure everybody is um got got everything together, like making sure that you know everything's in place, making sure they're on top of each other. Because if they're not on top of each other, or there's not that one player on top of everybody then who's gonna do it like coaches some coaches are scared to do it so and we saw this in the finals with um Udonis has them on the bench uh, yelling man. at the heat yep. player. he got <laughs> them in check as soon as he got them in check they started to like be more focused in they I think they cut a lead down against the, the Lakers in one of the games I forgot which game it was but they they, they, they zoned in 
They zoned right, in. And like, with, with the Lakers, you got LeBron. Obviously, he's going to always make sure y'all in check. They got guys like Rondo over there. And 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 I, I forgot who else. What other um, key veterans on that team? But they got guys on that bench that will that will tell you what you need to do and when you need to do it, and they will get you in check. Right, for sure. And I don't know where that's gonna come from with the Nets. So, like you said, I mean, there's not many options out there of like veteran vocal leaders. I don't know if that's something that teams have on their big board heading into free agency, but if that's one thing the Nets do need, that's it's that. Sometimes we have to wait for a situation to come up for leadership. For that leader to arise. Yeah, Yeah, I feel you. So what if Kevin Durant (laughs) becomes more vocal? You know, like he's played on Golden State. He knows how a winning system works. And he's played in Oklahoma where he saw leadership was a problem and because of that they weren't able to make it to the next level and also you have Kyrie Irving who played on Cleveland a championship team and he he saw leadership and he went to Boston he tried to become a better leader by himself but he saw like his his mistakes and what he needed to fix and now he's in Brooklyn he could fix that for himself like I believe we're gonna see a lot of leadership not a lot of leadership but we're definitely gonna see leadership this year for the Brooklyn Nets guarantee I hope so I hope so, because I would love to see a competitive Eastern Conference with all those guys over there. Oh, um, for sure. You, got the, you guys, the Nets, are featured in a lot of trade rumors this offseason. You guys are rumored for... I've, I've seen you guys rumored from Bradley Beal to James Harden to Drew Holiday to DeRozan. And I'm like, why? Why do the Nets want to get a third star so bad? We saw with the Lakers that all you need is like two really good offensive guys and then surround them with a lot of depth and a lot of guys that can rotate and be like that third guy on a given night. Like you have Karis LeVert, he could be a third guy on one night. You got Spencer Dinwiddie, he could be a third guy on one night. You got Harrison Allen, they could combine and be that third guy for one night. Like you got so many options there. It's like, why, why throw away the depth for a third star and then when it, when push comes to shove in the playoffs, that you don't have that depth to fall back on. Okay, let's look at it. Let's look at it like this, right? So when the Heat got formed, the Heat, the old Heat big three, they picked up Bosh, and they picked up LeBron, and the person that had the decreased role in their game was Chris Bosh. Like mm-hmm. he could have had higher numbers if he would have played elsewhere but he decided to play in Miami and have those, had the numbers and perform the way he did only because he knew it would result in a championship and he was able to pick up two. Brooklyn, in this case right now, we saw Karis LeVert play at the level he played at this season without players like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the game. And those are two ball-dominant players. If you surround Karis LeVert with them, you don't know if you're going to get that same Karis LeVert we've seen last year. What if he just turns into the same Karis LeVert that we saw on the Nets two years ago, three years ago, who you can see a lot of potential from, but they aren't really that third star you're looking for. And a third star, as much as we want, as much as we try to deny a lot, a third star takes such a sacrifice role that it, they have to be ready to take the pressure shots too. And if they don't make those pressure shots, they're going to get the most blamed by the media. And we could talk about Kevin Love in Cleveland. Like he had the most blame as the third guy over there 
for not making oh, his yeah. shots. And it, it got to him mentally. Like he spoke yeah. about it, like, Oh my God, like the pressure and all that. Like, I believe he was depressed at one point because of it. So yeah. a third guy on the nets, like Bradley Beal, or even a drew holiday that gives you more, more players that are ready for the moment instead of more depth, because although depth is nice, sometimes you have to make sure that you have a foundation to build that depth around. And the Nets are kind of unsure about the foundation they have around Kyrie and KD, considering injuries and also considering the talent that is already on the team. I I, I feel I get what you're saying. I also feel like they would be giving up too much in trades, like especially for like a, a Drew Holiday. You're giving up your 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 only rim protector on the team, probably in Jared Allen, because you know the teams the other teams are gonna want that the Pelicans. Um, you're giving up probably Karis and maybe both Karis and Spencer. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Nah. You only get one. one. You get one of them, and you're probably gonna get Jared Allen too. But that's not. Uh, that's not really too much. But Jared Allen. That's like the much. only only piece of defense y'all got. Basically, mm, we still have DJ. I mean, the mm. Nets still have DJ. DJ is I don't washed. Have DJ. Yeah. DJ is washed. <laughs> he's a veteran. He's a veteran one. And two, he he knows when to elevate his game. He's I guess. A player but that he, understands he gets, when. To me, he gets paid too much. He does he get got paid that, too much. He got that, that, that Katie and Kyrie bump, and they gave him $40 million. Oof. Because they know he's going to be an anchor. He's going to be... Also a voice for the Nets defensively, and he 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 has chemistry with Kyrie and Katie, so there was no way he wasn't going to get that money to come to oh, of Brooklyn. Of course not, right? Of course and not. And I I don't even think Katie and Kyrie see Jared Allen in their future plans unless that has changed over time, because when they both came to Brooklyn, like you never really hear them mention Jared Allen when talking about the future. When talking about uh, what they need to like win a championship, because I remember one time Kyrie Irving after a game, uh, I think it was around like February of this season, he mentioned a lot of players on the team that I, I, I wrote about I that. Think you remember, right? Yeah, I wrote about he, it too. <laughs> what was the, What was the context of it? What was the context of it? So basically, like, he was like naming guys who he sees, I think, as part of the future for the team. Yeah, and like he didn't a even lot of the, Jared Allen. Uh, he didn't mention Jared Allen. I don't think he mentioned Harris either. Like, that's going to throw a lot. And I, I, wrote, I wrote about it then, and I was like, it's going to throw a lot of guys, like, it's going to throw a lot of guys off. Like, it's going to be like, it oh, will. he doesn't think I'm part of the future. Like, oh, I bet. Okay. I'll keep my distance. <laughs> but then again, it's like, the truth kind of came out. If we look at it from the situation that we're in right now, because Joe Harris is a free agent. We don't know if he's returned to Brooklyn. And two, Jared Allen has never had a solidified spot on this roster for next year. So just pay attention to how this offseason continues and what the Nets do because, you know, Kyrie and Katie, they're thinking, I mean, Sean Marks, he's working with Kyrie and Katie to see, like, what they want. Yeah. So I don't know if Jared Allen belongs there. I know the Knicks are looking at – I know a lot of Knicks fans are looking at Joe Harris as a possible free agent target because of his shooting and the Knicks like don't have shooting at all. So but he's just going to be shooting for no reason to go nowhere. <laughs> like, 
So I don't know why. Hey, I man, up. we're going to be going to the playoffs to forget Joe Harris. Now, nah, let me stop. Let me not put expectations <laughs> in the mix like that. But, um, nah, um, I, I really think Jared Allen is like a really solid big man. Like, he de- defends the rim really well. I think he's been expanding his range the last couple of years. Like he's been taking a bit more threes every every year now. And I feel like he's a better fit on the team than DeAndre Jordan. I know DeAndre Jordan's their guy, but I do feel like Jared Allen is better suited for that team if they want long-term success. I don't think DeAndre Jordan is. I think DeAndre Jordan might actually get played off the court in the playoffs. Because I think Jared Allen probably does a better job defensively, just being engaged defensively. Um, I've seen Jared Allen looks better, and I think that's the. Did you, I think that was. Did you see how he performed against the Sixers? And I mean, last year's yeah, true, like Joel true. Had it every way he wanted, but <laughs> didn't he, he got exposed in the post? But who did they put? Who did they put on him after Jared Allen? Did they try anything else on Joe on Joel Embiid, or did they just yeah, keep Jared was, Allen? That was really all the Nets had. <laughs> Oh yeah, because like so, I think Ed right. Davis got hurt or something, right? And Ed Davis yeah, was playing Ed well. Davis I think he was playing well on he Joel Embiid. Well. That's why they won Game One. Really, he had a, I think he had a double double coming off the bench. I was just like, wow. And then when he got hurt, it was just like, okay, then that's have no chance at even competing in this series. Because I think if, Embiid, like I said, Embiid exposed Jared Allen. I think if the Nets had more trust in Jared Allen, maybe then he would probably play with a bit more. Confidence. But you know, hey, he's not even the best big man in New York. It's Mitchell Robinson. So, what? <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> no, I know you're joking. So you try to sneak that nah, in there. No, no, nah, nah, I'm not. I'm not. No. I'm not. Nah, Mitchell Robinson is. We'll see this year. We'll see. But Jared Allen might not even be the best. He might not even be a big man in New York for next year. For all we know, with the way these rumors are flying. Ooh. So true, but yeah, but again, I you mean, know, at such a young age for him, he's he's blocking shots, he's getting double doubles, he's progressing, and he's gonna be a great player in this league. He's still a great player in the league right now, but he could reach the next level really soon. But do the Nets have time to gamble on that? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I think the expectations of championship are bust, especially the way Steve Nash kind of put it. He's like, we're a championship team this year. It kind of it kind of it kind of relegates you to like want to rush someone like Jared Allen's development, even though that might not be the best thing to do. So they may not right. have time to actually wait for Jared Allen because they they are seeing themselves as a championship team. And if they don't think Jared Allen is ready to be that starter on a championship team, then they'll be like, all right, Jared Allen, you can go. We'll give you up for Drew Holiday or whatever or whatever piece they want to give him up for. But I don't know. I just like I like the pieces that they have. I like Kara Silver. I like Joe Harris. I like Jared Allen. Spencer Dinwiddie can um, stop making fun of the Knicks. Maybe I'll like him. But um, <laughs> I'm tired of him. He he's always talking about the Knicks. Like, bro, just leave us alone. Let us suck in peace. But no, no. But yeah, I think get involved <laughs> in his business. He has no choice. <laughs> but yeah, At um. Least <laughs> But nah, I think that in general, like the Nets do have a solid team. It's just I worry for them defensively. That's that's my main concern with them defensively and leadership. And it's only so many people on the free agent market that you can get to help shore up your defense. And I know Yudoka is going to probably work with 
the team on working on the best defensive strategy that's going to maximize all their players' abilities. But it's also going to take guys like Kyrie locking in. I know when Kyrie locks in, he can play some pretty decent defense. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he's a pretty capable defender as well. Um, but yeah, I think it would just take the team just like probably just locking in. But who knows? Teams like that, they like to coast through the regular season. A lot of teams will struggle next season dealing with Anthony Davis and dealing with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Teams don't have a player that could match up with that. Good luck. (laughs) And that was the story of the playoffs. Pacers didn't have anyone for Giannis. No, 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 not Giannis. What team did um, the Bucs get by in the first round? The Magic. The Magic didn't have anyone for Giannis. Got gentlemen swept. Then you go to the West. You see, you see the Portland. They had no answer for Anthony Davis. And then after that, Houston. Oh Lord, Houston. Absolutely not even a chance at containing Anthony Davis. Nope. nope not and at the all. Nuggets. And the Nuggets. Although they had Jokic who would score back on Anthony Davis and made him work more defensively. You still have to worry about his offensive game, and he even had a game winner against Jokic. So, man, yeah. The, and the funny enough, as, somebody from. And funny enough, as as we're talking about the Nets, I just see on my Twitter feed as I opened up Twitter just now, Levert is older than people think he is, and then someone was like, "That little run from Levert has really fooled some people. He's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he's been overrated." And then someone else was like. He's a taller Lou Williams. So how do you feel about that? Him being a taller Lou Williams or him being overrated? Just the whole thing in general. <laughs> it, can, it can be easy to see him being better than what he actually is, mm-hmm. considering he was just the number one option for the first time in his career for Brooklyn yeah. this, this, last, this past season. So... Him being paired next to Katie and Kyrie, if he stays on the team, will show if he is still that type of player. But I believe that when he gets the decreased role, he won't be the same player that you saw this season. True. Personally. And I think and I think I think he can still serve as like pretty good third ball handler and um, playmaker. We saw his playmaking on, on blast basically against, um, I think it was against the, the, the Portland trailblazers where he was just diamond them, diamond up his teammates. I forgot how many assists he had that game, but he was, he was dishing. I never seen Karis LeVert playmake like that. that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think he can really serve that role with um, Katie and Kyrie. So he can still serve a function, but it's a matter of, do they think that's enough of what they're getting from him? And if not, they can just cut bait with him at the trade deadline. True, too. Right. The thing is, like, Karis LeVert, I know Steve Nash was already saying that, and of course, nobody's comparing him to the player I'm about to mention. He compared putting LeVert in a Ginobili role. And Manu Ginobili, he sacrificed a lot. I touched on this earlier, but as the third best player on the team, he sacrificed a lot and even decided to come off the bench. And I, I think it, it was 2007. And that led them to another championship because he was willing to 
come off the bench and help the team and help that bench squad and come in for the fourth quarter when they needed that closer or to come in when they needed that extra ball handler. Karis LeVert can easily be that type of player and have that type of role. I mean, not be that type of player that Ginobili was because Ginobili is a future Hall of Famer, a legend, a great. And LeVert still has a lot to prove, but he could play that role because we already saw that he's capable of ball handling. He's capable of dishing and playmaking, like you said. And he's also capable of scoring. So if you have that as the third best option on your team, that's a good team you're talking about right there. And also speaking of Levert, also I'm seeing here, Zach Lowe says that for Drew Holiday, because we spoke about possibly trading for Drew Holiday, he thinks that Brooklyn's package would probably be Levert, a filler, and a first-round pick. How do you feel about giving that up for Drew Holiday? You're keeping Allen? which is great. You're keeping Dinwiddie and you're getting Drew Holiday that you, the Nets win that trade. They do. Other <laughs> trades I've seen from trade. Zach Lowe that he put out was Denver can offer Gary Harris, Bobo and two lightly protected picks. Golden State can offer the number two pick in Andrew Wiggins and get number 13 in return with Drew Holiday. Wow. Yeah, they're not going to take that. That's not enough. That, it, it's going to be a competitive Bobo market for has, Drew Holiday. It hasn't proved anything. Yeah, true. Every I feel like every team that wants to contend next year is going to try to get them, and if they if they if they aren't, then they better start considering because he a lot of players already said that he is the best defender in the league. Yeah, he's already gained the players' respect on that. Yeah, on all the smoke, every go every guest that comes on, they say one of the best players that defends them is um Drew Holiday. So, I mean, it may be Drew Holiday is that missing defensive piece. And if it takes just Karis LeVert, um, a filler salary and a draft pick to get that, then, um, hey, I mean, do it if that's what they get. So, moving on to, I guess, some offseason moves and, like, draft for the Nets. Garrett Temple... Is his $5 million team option is probably going to be declined. I know he was like a pretty solid veteran locker room presence for the team, especially heading into the bubble. How do you feel about possibly losing him? I guess, I don't know if he really matters that much to the team, but. Honestly, not a big loss for the Nets. He was a, a, a great offensive option for Brooklyn. Although he's known a lot for his defense. He improved his three-point shooting he on did. Brooklyn. He took he took on more threes than he usually would. And um, in the playoffs, he didn't have the stint that I know he, he would have wanted. There was this one play, I think it was game two or game three. He had the ball up top. All he had to do was just get the ball to Joe Harris on a handoff. And they would have either tied the game or went up one. And he fumbled the ball. And he got upset at the ref, but... That was a mistake all by him. Like he was fully responsible for that mistake. So I don't know about like him, like the Nets losing him as a big loss, but it's it's honestly a okay for the Nets to lose him. And that the mistakes that he he has had in the past in the playoffs. I know I shouldn't be using this against him, but like that's what a lot of fans will remember. So. And him not returning, like fans wouldn't would also be seeing this as like, oh, it's okay. Like he didn't do much for the franchise, so that's just how it goes. 
And I think it's it's a I think it's more of a financial move they're doing it because I think they probably want to keep Joe Harris. And if they keep Joe Harris and cut um Garrett Temple, they save a bit of money on their tax bill. So Oh yeah, they do. They yeah, do. so But then again, it's like if you're gonna keep Joe Harris, Joe Harris better be ready to ball because then what if they regret that decision? They could have picked up Temple again. True, true. Because we never see saw Joe Harris like perform. Uh, in the playoffs against the Sixers, like he went ice cold, and no one really yeah, talks about he that did. a lot. Yeah, he really did. And now, he, yeah, he has to be ready to to take those same pressure shots, but if anything, more pressure shots because the Nets are projected to get past the first round, and he he couldn't even do that in the first round. So we, we got to see if he could perform. All right. So heading into the draft, you guys have the number nineteenth pick. What what is one player that you're looking at, or a couple players that you're looking at for the Nets in that position? If you guys keep that pick, I know just that, just like an hour ago, um, there were reports that the Nets were also looking heavily on Josh Green from Australia. Okay, uh, okay. I I personally like Australians only because their their work ethic on the court it shows like and their confidence as well. If he comes to a gritty team like the Nets, he fits in pretty well. But if, Definitely. if the team doesn't pick him up, they're probably going to look at RJ Hampton. Yeah, that's a name I've seen a lot associated with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure about him, but... <laughs> I think he has to, to step into a situation... I feel, I think RJ Hampton has to step into a situation where it's a, like a team with a very strong development staff. Okay. Why do you to say me, that? To me, from what I've seen, from what I've seen, from seeing whatever limited footage I can see of him, and from what I've heard, at least from a couple of some other guys that I know work on draft content, they have said that he needs to be in a situation with a very strong development staff. Um... So, so I think he's not ready. Wouldn't be ready to be on a contending team or at least contribute to a contending team. Okay. So I've seen a lot of people place him on like the Spurs because we know the Spurs are like heading towards that. They're they're not going to be contending anytime soon for for now at least. And they they they've had they've got a pretty good record of player development with guys like um, Dejounte Murray, Derek White. Um, Lonnie Walker been playing pretty well this past season. So, you know, they've got some guys that have gone through their pipeline and some guys would like to see RJ Hampton go through that too. So mm. I, see, I see where you're coming from for sure. If he actually needs that type of team, like the Spurs to develop, he going to a win now team like Brooklyn isn't the fit for him. Yeah. It is another song. Yeah. With my Knicks at eight, I don't know what we're going to do, but I just hope they make the right choice. Uh, They're definitely going to go for a point guard if they don't pick up Chris Paul before then because Scoop B, Brandon Robinson reported that out about a month ago for the first time. And uh, Chris Paul was open to the trade either there or LA. So if you guys manage to get Chris Paul, then 
congrats. But if y'all don't, I expect y'all to to get a point guard in this draft. I'm not really the biggest fan of getting Chris Paul because Chris Paul is like, he's a vet. Sure. He'll bring like some credibility, I guess, to New York for, for once. But like, he's like, what, 36, 30, I don't know how old he is. He's old. And I'd rather see him get to a contending situation for a chance at a ring. I would not like the last of his years to be remembered as a veteran leader on the New York Knicks. Like <laughs> that's how a lot of those guys go out these days, or at least in the, they used to go out a lot of these point guards. But yeah, I would like to see Chris Paul in a winning situation. Um, the Knicks are not that plus his contract is pretty big. And I, I don't know. I don't think, I think OKC would want a couple draft picks from us and the Knicks should not be in the business of giving up draft picks unless it's for a actual star in its prime, at least. Oh, signing him though at this old of an age is such a Knicks move though. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. He's not a free agent though. So for, uh, trading for him. I'm I would I would welcome it but I'm not all the way on board with it. I'm more of like drafting someone and putting them through our new development staff that we hired or signing Fred Van Vliet. So well, what if what if you guys pick up Jeremy Grant in free agency and then you get Chris Paul and then you draft a, a big man or a power forward to pair next to Mitchell Robinson? I think if they if they if they don't get a point guard in the draft, I think if they don't get a point guard with their first pick at least, they'll probably go wing with like someone like Vassell or Coro maybe. Three and D or three and D with Devin Vassell at least. Um because you know Tom, Tom Thibodeau loves his defensive guys. Right. Um so yeah, I think they would probably go with that if they do don't if they don't pick a point guard with their eighth pick. But they'll probably, they'll pick up a point guard in the draft regardless. I think, whether it's pick eight or if they use pick twenty seven or if they trade up from twenty seven. So even if the, they pick up Jeremy Grant through free agency to get that wing defender, you still expect mm-hmm. them to get that another wing defender or wing player. Yeah, because then you would play Grant at like the four or something. Okay. Yeah. And I think Grant is gonna probably either go back to um, Denver. Or he's going to go to a, like another contending team. I don't think Grant would come to the Knicks. I would love Grant on the Knicks. I've been advocating for Grant to the Knicks for a minute now. like, And I got justified when I saw him perform the way he did in the bubble in the playoffs. So right. he was playing well there. So I was like, hey, Jeremy Grant to the Knicks. But I know after, the, after that performance, Denver's going to be even more motivated to keep him because they realized how far they got with someone like him and without Will Barton. So. True. Very true. But I see him fitting on the Miami Heat, too. Um, I just finished writing a piece on how one of the two of the biggest possibilities for him are either the Knicks or the Heat. If he goes to the Knicks, I see you guys throwing money at him, more money than these other teams. And if not, he'll probably want to go to the Heat instead of returning to Denver because he saw how far the Heat went. He saw their their zone defense. He knows his type of impact in that type of defense. If anything, he just he'll actually get a, get more threes up on that team because it'll set him up very well. So I don't know. We gotta see, man. 
This offseason is fun. That's that's one thing. It's going to be very fun. And that's one thing about the Knicks that I can, I, I know that we have over every other team or a lot of other teams is that we can throw money at guys that other teams can't throw. And if they want to keep certain guys, like I know the Nets, if they want to keep Joe Harris, they're probably going to have to outbid us. And we have more money to throw at Joe Harris, but it's like, how much money do we want to throw at Joe Harris to throw the Nets off the scent? Or very true. So yeah, that's one thing I know the Knicks can do is just probably outbid play outbid teams for players. But it's like, at what cost are you going to be overpaying guys again? Or like another thing you guys do is pick up like four power forwards in the all season for no reason. Uh, man, that was that was just that was just one off season, and that was last off season. <laughs> What headlines were y'all trying to make? What statement Honestly, were y'all trying to make? I think what they were going for is they wanted to play Morris at the three more. And they saw Taj Gibson as a center instead of a power forward, which they played him at a lot, unfortunately, to stunt Mitch, Mitch's growth. And it didn't help that we had David Fisdale, who could not coach to save his life, coaching that team. And yeah, it was just one big mess. And... Thank goodness they'll all be off the books this offseason. I mean, only guy we have left is Julius Randle, but we'll probably trade him soon. And then what else? We got Taj Gibson's probably going to come back because, you know, Thibodeau's his guy and mm-hmm. all that. But Bobby Portis is going to be gone. What you think and about we Dennis Smith? Well, that's what I think about Dennis Smith? Yeah. Like, well, I thought y'all really wanted that guy, and now y'all have him. It's like, oh. <laughs> so now? here's the thing. Everybody wanted us to have Dennis Smith Jr. We finally got him when he was garbage. <laughs> That's what happened. But he's still young. Dennis Smith Jr. looked like he forgot how to play basketball last year, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him, but he did not look like he knew how to play the game of basketball. I he, I actually liked his game. When I saw him perform like that on the Knicks, I was just so confused. I was just like, is it really the bad luck in the air over there? I don't think so because when, Garden, he, or? when he first got to New York, like after the trade immediately last year, he played pretty decent. Like he played okay. And I thought that's what we were going to get coming into this season. And no, he just looks like someone that forgot how to play <laughs> basketball. And it's just, it's a shame because I was advocating for, for, I think we still run the trade with Porzingis regardless, but if he had even looked like someone that could average 10 points per game, we would have won the trade even <laughs> better than we did. But, hey, I mean, it is what it is at this point. And hopefully Tom Thibodeau can rehabilitate whatever's left of him. I know he's still young, but this is what happens when you trust these guys that can only just jump out the gym. Like, you you got to wait to see how the other parts of their game Exactly. You need to see like what Turn skills out. do they yeah. have to help yeah. the team win. And Dennis oh, Smith man. just likes to jump and oh man. What else is wrong with my Knicks? That's a disaster. <laughs> no, nah, I think like, I you think did it to yourself being a Nets the next nah, nah, I mean what you call it. Um I think they I think they figured things out this offseason. They basically cleaned house on the front office. They only kept the GM and the new president for you guys. <laughs> nah, this time it's le- like we legit cleared out the whole thing. Like we got Leon Rose, what uh, William Wesley, Worldwide West, hired a brand new coaching staff. La- we got rid of everybody that had to do with David Fisdale and Steve Mills. So they're all gone. Hired competent basketball players. You know the Knicks didn't even have a development staff um, 
basically until this year they hired one they hired a full what? development staff they Why basically not? had i think they had like one or two guys as a development staff but now they've hired like a full like i think separate development staff for their guys so that so sad that it's so I'm telling you, it's what the new front office did. So I'm trusting this new front office. Leon Rose, he's big. He's a former big name agent. And, you know, he has all these connections with Chris Paul, Carmelo, LeBron, all these guys. So, you know, he's got all the connections with all these former Kentucky guys, too. So, you know, I'm just hoping for the best this time. You know, I'm being cautiously optimistic so far. I've heard nothing negative from this new front office. I've heard only positive things about the hires. There's no news leaking out anymore of nonsense going on behind doors. So, you know, everything is probably in tip-top shape now. We'll see how things go in like two weeks with the draft. We'll see how free agency goes in like two weeks. Oh, man. I wish you could see my face right now when you were listening like all these quote-unquote positives on the day. Because every move that you have made since 2012 has been the wrong move. Even, well, I mean, even like the one move almost, that I can consider was a great move was picking up Chris Hasperzingas, but y'all still found a way to make him not want to be on a team and trade him for nothing. <laughs> we won that trade, though. Still, I think we still won that trade. You just told me you thought that if Dennis Smith averaged more than 10, then y'all would have won it. I think we would have won it more than or we already did, but I think we already won it. He How? has because, because he's bro, his, his injury. Yeah, he cannot. He cannot stay on the court. He can't stay on the court. He. But I feel like next he has season no, he still has, he has one more no, season to prove that he has no knees. He has no knees. He just had knee surgery again. That's bad for anyone over seven foot. But seven foot three alone. Um, Ouch. Def- um, offensively, I think he's okay. But like he, it's it's the fact that he keeps getting injured is what's gonna limit the Mavericks team success. Sam, Sam, if he so, was playing in that series, if he played the rest of that series, oh, the, the Clippers, Mavericks the Clippers, beat the Clippers. Bro, any team would have beat the Clippers last year in the playoffs. The Trailblazers probably would have beat the Clippers in the playoffs last year. Come on. I mean... I'm not going to give the Mavericks know. that. Ma- I'm not going to give the Mavericks that. No, the Mavericks were just... With Przingis and Doncic, that's, that's a dangerous team. Like they're if like a, a amount of stays healthy. The Clippers. Like we just saw the Clippers choke. Like they were clearly the best team on the court against the Denver Nuggets. For some reason, they just couldn't close out because of lack of leadership and, and chemistry and coaching. So if you have like and you saw what Przingis was doing out there against those guys and excited by Doncic, if Przingis is healthy, healthy, that's a big if. <laughs> it is a big if. But and that's why the Knicks may have won that trade because you don't pay someone that big who's that injury prone max dollars to be your number two guy. He should at least be your number three, I think. I think Porzingis is better suited than anybody, even at, even as a New York team, even being glorified as the Knicks, you're not attracting any talent in free agency. So Signing him back is not a big loss. Like throw the money at him because who are you throwing money at now? And then like, in Taj two Gibson years, again? and then in two years when he's just sitting on the bench in suits, collecting checks, and New York Daily News is having a field day writing, "Oh, Knicks wasted their money again on another injury-prone star." I don't want to hear that again. I just don't. So I'm glad the Knicks did not take that risk. We should. I think if we traded him, we should have got more. 
a lot of rumors early on, um, at least when Phil Jackson was there, was that he had a deal for Devin Booker and the number four pick from Phoenix for Kristaps oh. Porzingis. Wow. And because they heard a lot of complaining about the Knicks from other parts of the, the New York front office and coaching staff, I guess, Phil was like, okay, I'm not going to do the trade. And then he ended up getting fired anyway. So whatever. Story of the Knicks. Story of my life as a Knicks fan. Constant disappointment. That's Devin Booker right there. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I mean, look. (laughs) Come to me in two years, and we can talk about who really won the trade. Because it's still too early. Yeah, you still got to wait for the the Mavericks picks. We got to wait for the Mavericks picks to... um, to turn out, we still got their picks for 2021 and 2023. So. Oh, There's man. a long ride ahead of you, guys. <laughs> yep. Story of my life as a Knicks fan. Yikes. Pain. I think that that's all we got for today's show. Thanks to Ajayi for joining me. Hopefully we can oh, sure, collaborate man. once again. For sure. This in the is future. Fun. This is really fun. I definitely gonna be back. But no bro, this is this was lit though. Appreciate you coming on. Make sure y'all check out all his links. I'll make sure to link where you can find his stuff. First class ticket and where he writes his stuff on Nets Daily and News Magician. And make sure you check out our links for my website and the podcast website and follow us on social media. And make sure you follow Ajayi as well. For sure. First class ticket. You guys focus on foreign-born players. Want to see where young talents are coming from outside of America. Make sure to tune in for the first class ticket. That's my job. I'll get y'all the videos. I'll get y'all the info. And I'll get y'all the interviews. And that's it.